All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness as we sang, Lord. Sometimes it can just feel overwhelming to think about your goodness, your love for us, your faithfulness. Sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we don't even realize it because we're in the midst of things, trials, hardships, struggles, and we don't realize you are there. You are so faithful and good. Lord, I pray as we uh, wrap up this uh, retreat time, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your word today. I know many of us are tired. Help wake us up, Lord God, so we can hear your word. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are leaving the retreat feeling, man, you need to get on that treadmill? Yeah, some... How many of you are like, no, we had enough exercise walking up the hills. I think I've got my exercise. That's me, right? That's me. You guys know, I've, I've said before, uh, one of my things that I've, I've given up doing is doing New Year's resolutions of getting in shape, right? Because I, I realize I lack the discipline to get a regular routine to get in shape. And I probably should have like said, okay, when I get home, you know, I'm going to exercise to burn off all the calories again. But I am saying to myself, I walked enough, enough, enough hills. I think I'm good. I'm, I'm sore from volleyball yesterday, so I think I'm good. Um, but, you know, it, it takes a lot to get physically healthy, right? To get in shape. It takes that discipline, right? It's one thing to have that desire to, to okay, I need to start exercising. I, I need to start doing these things. But it's a whole other thing to, to maintain it. Right to maintain this because there's things that you have to intentionally do. You have to get yourself up to get a routine. Do those exercises to get your body in shape. Right. It takes a desire. It takes that intention. It takes to develop those healthy habits. Motivation. I, I lack that motivation. You know, my wife is too good to me. She says, "I love you the way you are." So I said, "Oh, good." <laughs> But I, I lack that motivation sometimes. So the challenge is, is maintaining that same motivation, that same drive that leads to action. And if you listen to top athletes, I don't know if you follow sports, if you listen to top elite athletes or maybe elite musicians or whatever craft, whatever specialty, the elites, to get to that elite level, they have to put way above average time and effort than the average person. Right? The ones who are at the top of the ground. I'm a big Rams fan. Number one player in the NFL right now is Aaron Donald. Defensive tackle. Maybe the best to ever play the position in the game. He is the first one on the practice field. And he's doing these reps. He's doing all these things before regular practice even begins. So it's no wonder he's at the top of his game because he puts elite level effort and dedication to get to that point. And sometimes we kind of have this mentality, right? That that's what we need to do. Elite level to be that above average. I've been talking about being a healthy tree these last couple of days, how to get ourselves to be spiritually healthy, have a healthy relationship with God. But the difference between that and what I just talked about, 
There's a big difference between, okay, we take, like, if we want to get in shape, we've got to go to the gym. We've got to do these exercises. We've got to do this stuff. We have to be dedicated. We have to be focused. Do all these things to get it done. But sometimes we translate that attitude towards our relationship with God. And there's a difference. We're going to take a look at that difference today. We're going to take a look at some keys to being a healthy tree. And we're going to take a look at a par- the parallel passage what we've looked at in Jeremiah. And we're going to parallel it with our passage today in John. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. John 15. And we'll focus on the parallels from God's message to Israel and Jeremiah to Jesus' message here in John. So John 15. reads verse one jesus says, i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it that it may bear more fruit you are already clean because of the word which i have spoken to you verse four abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. Verse 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. We'll stop there. Now, we're not going to do a full expository study on this passage, John 15, or else that could be a whole series in itself. But I want us to focus on three things about this passage that we're going to take a look at. The three things. The first thing is our relationship with Jesus. Take a look at our relationship with Jesus. The second thing we're going to see is God's desire for us. And then third thing we're going to see is the keys to maintaining a healthy relationship with the Lord. So the first thing, our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus illustrates our relationship with the Lord with this familiar metaphor of the vine. Okay, this would be very recognizable for the disciples, right? Because vines were very part of their agriculture at the time. So it's a very relatable symbol for them. But for the Jews also, this would be a familiar metaphor for their relationship with God. If you go to, you don't have to turn to there, but Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Jesus says to them, yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? 
So even back in Jeremiah, so the hearers of the time should automatically understand the association of a vine because God brought that metaphor of relationship to the Jews before. But he said to them, I planted you a choice vine. You were of the best quality of vines. Right here, you go to the grocery store and you get fruits. There's just like some grapes that like, you know, that just pop out like those are going to be good grapes. Those are very sweet, right? God says, you are a choice vine, but yet what did you do? You turned yourself into a degenerate foreign vine. So it makes it interesting what Jesus says here. Jesus declares, I am the true vine. Why is, it, why is that important? Israel was to be God's representative to the nations. They were his chosen people. They were to be the connection for those nations to be able to come to God. To be able to see God in the midst of all the foreign idols. They were the vine, but yet they forsook God. So it's interesting, Jesus says here, I am the true vine. In the previous chapter in John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but what? Through me. Jesus is the way and connection to the Father. He is the mediator between God and people, God and man. So here in this metaphor and passage in, in John, we see Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches of the vine. And he says, every branch in me. We'll see this rep repeated in this passage several times of in me. And if you know your scripture, your New, Te New Testament, you can see that's very familiar to this phrase, in Christ. How many of you have heard the phrase, in Christ? If you've read Paul at all, you've heard that phrase, in Christ. What does that mean to be in Christ? Maybe you've thought of that. Maybe you haven't thought of it. You heard it so much, you never thought, of like, what does that mean to be in Christ? Well, we've heard it, but do we certainly understand it? To understand, I think we need to go back. I think it, I believe, is rooted in the explanation of understanding the relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus talking about his relationship with the Father in John 14, 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Right? If you believe in God, you'll believe in me. 14 verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. So again, Jesus saying, talking about his relationship with the Father, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. It speaks to this unique dynamic relationship of the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, distinct Yet their relationship speaks of a oneness, a unity, a fellowship. You think, well, that's kind of weird to think about. Well, that's how we need to understand God. God is who he is. That's how it is. And we understand our relationships in reflection of him. One of the relationships we have on earth that reflects this dynamic of oneness is what? Marriage, right? When you marry somebody, you become one flesh. It's a oneness there, right? You don't become that person, right? When you get married, you don't become your wife and your wife becomes you. 
But there's a oneness. It speaks of the unity of the relationship. And we get that essence from, we learn that from the dynamic of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. But they're not the same person. Does that make sense? So when Jesus speaks of his relationship with the Father, he says, the Father is in me and I in the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you believe the Father, you believe me. You reject me, you reject the Father. Right? How many have ever been told, you are just like your mom, or you are just like your dad? We talked a little bit about that last night, right? How many of you got a fit? No, you don't. Don't, don't raise your hands. Oh, I almost got you in trouble. Don't raise your hands. How many of you thought, oh, I don't know if I'd like to hear that. I'm just like your, my father. I'm just like my mother, right? No matter how much you resemble your parents, you don't, you don't fully represent your mom or your dad, right? Not in full completeness. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. So we, we get this phrase in Christ in the rootedness of here, the relationship, the dynamic of the Godhead, they're one. So Jesus says, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. But it's not the sense that you become the Father, you become the Son, you become the Spirit. Does that make sense so far? Okay? So Jesus declares, to believe in Jesus is to believe in the Father. But to go to this phrase, to be in Christ... What does that mean? Paul talks about Romans 3.24. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Jesus did for us what we could not do on our own. You've heard me repeat this several times on Sundays, right? What Jesus did on the cross was what we could not do on our own. So through Jesus, we receive his righteousness. We are righteous before God because we have his righteousness for those who are in Christ. He took our sin. So just as he died and he was buried for our sin, we who are in Christ were buried with him. And as he resurrected, we resurrect also. We are given new life for those in Christ Jesus. Resurrected to new life. And then Jesus told the disciples, I will go, but I will give you another helper who will dwell in you. John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to remain with us, and to dwell in us. So when we say we're in Christ, we speak of both what he's done for us and also are the dynamics of the relationship we have in Christ. That if we remain in him, he remains in us. It's this covenant relationship we have with God. 
I've used the analogy before about being in something, what Christ did for us. We're all going to drive down the hill. And we're all going to drive, get in a car and drive down in the car. And when we tell somebody we went somewhere, we say, yeah, we drove down where we went down the mountain. Well, we all went in the car and in the car took us down the mountain, right? Very similar analogy for those who are in Christ. You put your faith in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ, those of you go in the car, you're going to go down the mountain. If you do not go in the car, you're not going down the mountain, or at least you're not going to be down there for quite a while, right? For those who are in Christ Jesus, receive salvation, redemption, forgiveness, and righteousness before God. You think, well, that's still kind of a difficult picture to understand that relationship. Well, Jesus paints this picture, this metaphor of the vine. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches that are connected to the vine. So the second thing we look at in this passage is God's desire for us. What do we learn about God's desire for us in this passage? One, he desires a faithful relationship with us. He desires a relationship, a faithful relationship with us. The second thing, a loving relationship with us. And the third thing, an experiential relationship with us. A faithful relationship, a loving relationship, an experiential relationship. We'll take a look at that. A faithful relationship with us. Think of all the ways in which God could have purposed a relationship with us. All the different ways God could have had that relationship between him and his creation. It could have been distant, right? He could have. He could have made it where he was a distant God from his creation. There's a lot of people who believe that. They believe God is a, he may exist, but he's distant. He's not personal. He doesn't have a direct interference or hands-on in our life. He could have done that. He could have been impersonal. He could have said, I'll create all you, all you people, but you're on your own. It's all up to you. He could have been a command and obey, right? He could have said, obey me. You don't, you're done. I'm going to croak dead. Right? Can you imagine that? The first mistake you make, you just fall dead. He could have done that. Of all the relationships God could have made for us. But what does Jesus say? He gives us imperative action. In other words, almost like this command of remain in me. But there's a mutual action between Jesus and his followers. Can we get the air on? This just mutual relationship Jesus asked for us. He says, abide in me and I in you. It's interesting. Jesus refers to abiding or being in me six times just in those 11 verses that we read. Six times he says, abide in me. Twice he says, I abide in you. Six times he says, abide in me. If you abide in me, if you abide in me, if you abide in me. Two times he says, I abide in you. Why the disparity? One, I kind of think that, I don't think God needs reminders of the emphasis of God's role, what he's going to do in us. I think we need to be reminded much more, right? Right, parents, when we want our kids to do something, how many times do we need to remind them? Do this. Do this. Did you do this? Did you do this yet? 
And then he's like, just do it, right? But he says, abide in me six times. Twice he says, and I abide in you. It's interesting. He could have said, I abide in you, you abide in me. But he said, I, you abide in me, and I abide in you. Interesting. He desires our faithfulness. He, desi- he desires for us to desire him. He has shown faith himself faithful to us. Think about it. How many people do you know you can absolutely trust with 100% certainty? 100% certainty. All the time. How many people do you know have your absolute 100% best interest in mind for you? All the time. How many people do you know that want to spend time with you 100% of the time? All the time. Right? I don't see any heads of spouses nodding yes yet. Right? Because we're people. And we have this selfishness in us, right? But think about it. God desires our faithfulness because he desires us 100% of the time. He wants the best for us 100% of the time. That's why he says, abide in me and I abide in you. He wants a faithful relationship with us. The second thing we see about the relationship with us, it's a loving relationship. He says, just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus refers to abiding in his love two times. The same love the Father has for Jesus and and Jesus has for the Father, Jesus loves us with that same love. Now take a moment. Do Do you feel the gravity of that statement? The love the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father, that same love, Jesus loves us. With that same love. Do you understand that? I mean, we get all worked up when someone has feelings for us. Back in the day, for some of us, right? You remember those times when you found out someone has feelings for you. Just feelings, right? And you get all excited. You get all like, you know, the the, the goosebumps. And, and you know, you, you start to look differently. You want to make sure you look good every time. Instead of just rolling out of bed every time. Right? Song plays. You get inspired. We even get all emotional by our pets. Our pets show us some affection. They probably just want a treat. But we feel like so special. Oh, my dog, my cat. They love me so much. We get so like wrapped up in that. Yet the God of the universe loves us with the same love they have. This should blow our minds. It should really blow our minds. Verse 18, or 16, 1 John four sixteen, And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God 
and God abides in him. The kind of relationship God desires for us is a relationship of love. Why? Because God is love. His very nature is love. So that's the kind of relationship he desires for us to abide in. This kind of relationship that is just full love. Full love. God doesn't need us, right? We don't make God better. When we praise and worship God, and I was blessed to hear you all praise, praise God. But it didn't make him any better, right? We didn't make him better by our praise, We praise him that way because he's worthy of it, right? But he says, abide in my love. This is the dynamic. This is who I am. And this is what I call you into. This is what I want you to be a part of. The third thing we see is it's an experiential relationship with us. He wants us to experience his power and his work in our life. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit alone of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and i in him he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing verse 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's not an advertisement. Again, appreciate this relationship. God desires us. But he desires to do a work in us. He desires to engage in us, experience him in our life. He doesn't leave us to try to be better on our own, to try to be perfect, to try to earn his favor, to try to be more godly. We don't have to try to be good enough. He says, remain in me. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. My power is what transforms you. You remain in me and I will change you. See, there's the difference between what I talked about earlier. If you want to get in shape, right, you got to do the exercise. Maybe you hit some weights. Maybe you do some cardio. You do all those things and you should see results, right? Can you imagine if you're saying, all right, I want to get I want to get toned, right? I want to get in shape. I want to get buff. I want to get whatever it is. Can you imagine you go to the gym and you hit the weights? You hit the weights hard. You start low because, you know, you're you're kind of a little weak, so you kind of build your way up. Can you imagine you put all that effort in and you get no results? You're putting in the gym hours. You're hitting the weights. You're running. You do all those things and there's no results. That would be frustrating, right? So many people have that approach to their relationship with God. They think if they just do things, it's going to produce results. If I just go to church, if I just can be in the attendance, I'm going to start to get better. If I just read for five, five minutes or 15 minutes or one chapter, it's going to be better. If I just do these things, it's going to be better. But it's not just doing things. That's the difference. 
Sometimes we make it a deeds thing. Sometimes we make it a thing that, oh, what, I, if I could just do this, then this is going to happen. Just remain in me. God will be our provision. He wants to provide for you. He wants to bless you. That should encourage us. And notice the last verse. Why should we believe in Jesus? What does he say? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That you would have full joy. He wants us to experience joy and that our joy will be made full and complete. The life of a believer in Christ, a fallen Christ, should be full of joy. How many of us can use a little more joy? Right? We can all use a little bit more joy in our life. I struggle with this, with just being joyful. Because I worry so much. I have so much going on in my head. So trust me, I'm going to try to put what I spoke on the last few days into practice for myself. Because all those worries, all those things that we get caught up in, all those struggles, it keeps us from experiencing joy because we're focused, we're obsessed with our inabilities. We're obsessed over the things that we have to try to figure out. All the tasks that we have to do. But it's amazing to think that God wants to give you joy. Third thing we take away from this passage is some keys to maintaining a healthy relationship. Talk about being a healthy tree. How can we maintain being a healthy tree? So if it's not just about all the tasks that we have to do. First thing we need to think about and what this passage talks about, abide in Jesus. When we say abide in Jesus, what are we talking about? We're talking about faithfulness. Faithfulness. To remain in Jesus, to stay with him. We looked at the last two previous messages, right? Israel was disobedient. Not only were they sinful, but they were unfaithful. We, God used this analogy. They were cheating on God. They were committing adultery to God. But God said, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. And so here Jesus says, abide in me. In other words, stay with me. Remain in me. So many times, you know, when people graduate from high school, why there's such a drop off from people go from high school to college and church attendance because they feel like now I am free. Now I can explore. Now I don't have to do the church stuff. I did my time and now I can kind of explore other things. And I always try to tell them, remain, stay with him. Don't be so quick to leave him. Faithfulness. The second thing we see, abide in his word. He says, abide in my word. In other words, obedience. Third thing, abide in his love. So abide in Jesus, abide in his word, abide in his love. Remember, the substance of the relationship with God is love. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Notice the, the direct connection between obedience and love. When it comes to God, there's a direct correlation of obedience to His word and His love. That's why I say parents, you need to treat, or not treat, to train and teach your children obedience in love. Kids, when I say kids, if you're a child here today, we are children here today. Obedience is one of those things that you hate to have to learn, but it's so critical for you to understand the value of obedience. Because we all have to obey to somebody, right? When you get a job, Unless you are some kind of genius entrepreneur and you've been, you, know, you feel like you don't have to obey anybody, you're going to have to obey somebody. Hopefully your parents is that representative of God that teaches you the value of obedience. But we need to teach our kids the value of obedience in love. Parents, train your kids. Obedience. And I will say this, and some of you youth are not going to like to hear this, but I'm going to tell the parents, train them. Train them that having a a disobedient attitude is not good for your heart. It's not good for their hearts. Because it just drains, it cuts off love when they have a defiant heart. And we all need to learn that disobedience is not a punishment. To obey God is not a punishment. So don't be quick to be disobedient. Don't be quick to be defiant and be rebellious because it's not going to have good results. Right? We can all admit when we're defiant and rebellious, it does something in our hearts. It makes it hard. When we're combative with our parents. I, I know this. I had such a bad attitude with my parents so many times. I popped off so many times. I, I don't know if I always did, I, if I more times than not did what they asked me to do right off the bat. Complain over the silliest things. And I know what it did to my heart. It, it, it soured like a, you know, you have a nice grape and over time it just kind of sh- shrivels up like a, like a little prune and then like a little grape or raisin and then it's just like, you toss it away. That's what rebelliousness does, right? But the love of God is what transforms us and causes us to live differently. When we abide in Christ, we abide in his love. We abide in his word. That affects us in ways that we don't even realize. We won't wake up every day, look in the mirror and say, man, I look more godly, right? When you start to exercise, you kind of do that, right? When no one's looking, check out in the mirror, any difference? And when you wake up in the mirror, when you look at your spiritual health, you're not going to look at the mirror, man, you're more faithful today. But what it does, you see, is God begins to transform. That's why I use the term marinade, right? 
is that the flavor sinks in and it changes the flavor of the meat. Hmm. Sounds good. Right? That's what the love of God does in us. That's when we abide in Christ does. It flavors us and nourishes us like the roots of a tree that extends in the waters. It nourishes, it gives us security, it gives us a sense of refuge, and it begins changing our thoughts and our hearts. So I talked about the last two previous two messages. Two speaks to two sides, both the parents and the adults and also the children and the younger generations, right? I want to talk to us individually as ourselves and also as a church to wrap things up. I want us to consider these messages from a personal perspective and from our church. The things we do are not means of having a healthier relationship with the Lord, right? It's not as simple as if we do these things, this is going to happen. Rather, I would like it to be that the things we do is a product of what God is doing in us. You will read scripture more because of God's work in your life. You see the difference? The difference from, if I read, I'm going to get these results. Instead, God's love compels me to want to read more. So I want you guys to think about it for yourself. First thing, my commitment to Jesus. My commitment to Jesus. You have to answer this for yourself. I want to fully trust my life and who I am to Him. I don't know everybody here. I don't know your spiritual journey, your relationship with God, what it is, whether you made a decision or not. But you have to make that answer. It's not an answer your parents can do for you, your pastor can do for you. At some point, you're going to be held accountable for your faith, for your choosing or rejecting the Lord. I want to fully trust my life to Him. Second thing, my trust in Jesus. I want to daily learn to trust Him throughout my life. So in other words, the first thing, not only do you believe in Christ, you want to surrender your life, but I trust Him with my life. Third, my obedience to Jesus. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's direction in my life. I want to be more obedient to Christ. I know the temptations are strong, but I want to be more obedient to Christ than my flesh, my desires. Fourthly, my love for Jesus. I want to grow in my love for him. And I want to experience his love in my life. I want to experience more of his love in my life. Some of you, if you before you get into relationships, you get to that boyfriend, girlfriend, there's a point where you, want just, you, can't, you can't have enough time with them. Everything's love. Everything's good. Birds singing, you know. They can no, never look ugly, whatever it is. But we should have such a desire for Jesus that, you know, I just can't get enough. I can't get enough of his love. From the church perspective, I want us to consider. Here's why this was the theme for the, the, the year and for this retreat. As I mentioned in starting off this retreat, I really believe, I really believe strongly that as a church, we want to have 
godly families. We want to have families, not perfect families. There's no such thing. But families who desire God, faithfulness to God. Individuals who desire God. Whether you're single, you have kids, no kids, young or old, that we have a family, a church family that desires God that's rooted in Scripture, that desires His Word, because that's His Word that nourishes our roots, that's going to cause us to grow. I want us to be a church that as we worship God, that we're a worshiping church, because that's a result of what God is doing in your life. You know, when I was sitting here, Hearing you guys worship, and on a Sunday, I can't always hear all that. I'm not going to say you guys don't sing like that. I just can't hear it being in the sanctuary, right? I don't know if you do on a Sunday or not, but he's still deserving of that worship on a given Sunday as he is as a worship place. And love for us as a church that, you know, when people walk in that church, they see this, these people are worshiping God. And they're worshiping God because God is doing something in them. They have this relationship with God that is just an outpouring of praise. If you've gone to a football game or any kind of sporting event or a concert, how many of you have been to a concert that you really enjoyed? All right. Sporting event? When your team does something, what do you do? Do you sit back and just go, ah? Of course not. Boom! Hands up in the air. You're screaming. I have video of me at, at the game, and you know it's kind of embarrassing. I won't show. But your hands are up in the air. You're cheering because you're excited. That we are a church that's an edifying. We have edifying fellowship. That we have fellowship with each other. That is desires to edify each other. It's not just the small talk. Hey, how are you doing? How's your week? Good work. Work's good. Okay, great. All right. See you later. And that's it. Because I guarantee you, when people come to the church, they want, if they really want to be connected to a church, they look at how other people are connected and how interested other people are with them. Would it make a difference if I'm even here? And I don't know all of you, but I don't know if you've ever thought of it. Would I make a difference to this church if I wasn't there? Not just so much will they notice, but will it make a difference? There's plenty of people who go to plenty of churches. They can go in and out, and it wouldn't make a difference. Right? But we want to have such a fellowship that it's edifying. I want the best for you. When I was sitting there you know, during worship, I was humbled by it. Because of all things, I'm saying this in an honest heart, I desire for you guys to have such healthy families. It breaks my heart to hear some of the things that can happen. In, and it's not, I'm not saying my family is not perfect at all, by any means. But I want you guys to have healthy families that desire God, that love God so much. And I want you guys to want that for each other. I want you to want that for your own families. To desire that for your families more than anything else. 
if we can have such depth of fellowship. Faithful service, focusing on the health of the body. Again, when we serve you guys, and yes, it's coming up, that time of year is coming up when we're going to be needing people to help serve on church council. We're going to need people to help serve in the worship team. We're going to need help serve in these things. We want people, not just because I'm an able body, not because, well, my time is, <laughs> I've been putting it off for all this time, is my time, but that your relationship with God compels you to say, you know what? You can serve in this capacity for the body of Christ. And not just go to church, do your thing, in and out. I'm not, there's, there's people, I'm not casting judgment on that. But that if God is doing something in you that says, you know what? I can be serving. That when we look at people in church, we say, well, look at, you know, these people are serving. Look, look what they're doing. Lastly, a shining witness. Showing others the transformational love of Jesus. We have this responsibility not only when we gather in church, not only when we do church things, but when we're out into the world, that we can be a shining witness for Christ. People need to see what Christ does in us. You who are going to school in a couple weeks, yeah, a few weeks, I know. When you go to your classes, when you're starting to make those friends in the first few weeks and first few months of school and stuff, it's going to be hard. I don't envy you guys, you anchor students particularly, because you're going to school in a dynamic, especially if you're in a public school, well, not even public school, private school, both the same, that the world does not want you to be Christian, but they need it so badly. They need it. They need to see what's authentic because they're chasing after fake idols, emptiness. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Remain in me and I in you because without me, you can do nothing. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, I could think of so many different ways you could have chosen to have relationship with us. But Lord, the, the fact that you desire us so much, that you love us, you want faithful relationship with us, and you want us to experience you and your power and your work in our life. Lord, that's so amazing. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that's wrestled with that decision. I pray, Lord God, you would speak into their hearts and minds. Convict them, Lord God, of their sin, their need for you, Lord Jesus. That they would humble themselves to say, Jesus, I need you. I've put this off long enough. May you be my Savior and my Lord. Give me your Holy Spirit to dwell in me that I can abide in you and you in me.